Welcome FPL managers to a very special edition of the FPL Optimized podcast. I'm Sartal, navigating the ship solo today, but for a good reason. We are diving into the heart of the FPL season's final stage, where cup uncertainties swirl like a storm on the horizon. Data or grass or data and grass? That's the question we answer in this podcast. In this corner of FPL universe, we are not just observers. We have strategists, analysts, and sometimes magicians uh, to help unravel the mysteries of fixture possibilities and chip strategies. I'm joined by two of the brightest stars in the FPL analytics sky, uh, Johnny Curry, known as FPL underscore Spaceman on Twitter, a maestro of optimization models, and Alistair McKeever, our fixture sage, also known as Ted Lasso Regen in our analytics discord server. They both were guests in the past, so they're not strangers. They're almost co-hosts at this point. <laughs> Gentlemen, welcome. And before we chart our course through the complexities of the game, let's hear a bit about your FPL seasons so far. Uh, yeah, it's going not too bad. I think uh, I'm top of the three of us based on the graphic, looking at it. <laughs> um, I'm 20 places behind my FPL ID. So that's that's the target, obviously, as everyone wants to beat. So you got to sign up, not too quick. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, good week so far. I I don't have any Liverpool attackers. So uh, I had Solanke and Watkins and Erdegaard, who all hold, um, despite so despite having a, probably a worse team, seem to have come out on top. So sitting in the top 1K, looking all right, yeah. Sure will go downhill, but we'll see. <laughs> Thank you, John. And I, I've... Uh, I've... Also, it's also going pretty well for me. I, I shouldn't complain. I, I, um, I, I'm still in po- strong positive variance territory, uh, which is always a, a good thing. It feels a little hollow right now because um, it's taken a bit of a negative turn the last few weeks. I was, I think, 1.6K was my best rank. Uh, but game week 23, I benched Foden's hat trick. Um, and then I've kind of taken a path where I really wanted to attack this mm-hmm. double game week, and that's fed into my chip strategy. We'll get into that, but uh, that that landed me with um, you know a great Liverpool triple up uh, going into last week of um, Trent, uh, Jota, and Darwin, and that's obviously not patterned out great with uh, Jota almost certainly ruled out after 45 minutes of the first uh, game of the double and Darwin probably the same. So a um, bit unlucky the last the last week or three, but lucky overall and um, a fresh start with a new new wildcard coming. So uh, yeah, lots to look forward to. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for joining both of you. And just for uh, people who are just listening, not on YouTube, uh, Johnny's rank is 696 right now. Uh, that's a live game week, live rank, by the way. Obviously, it will change uh, until the end of the uh, game week. And Alistair at 5.5k right now. Um, so in today's episode, we will talk about, well, mostly solvers and chip strategies and also fixture uncertainty. So this will be a little bit more analytics heavy. So like if you're a casual player and just listening, so you might get confused about uh, some of the terms we are going to use. But just to reiterate, um, we are using optimization solvers uh, to approach this game. And uh, there are certain parameters you need to adjust uh, to be able to make the chip planning and chip optimization. 
And obviously we have lots of fixture uncertainties. They are not helping, but at the same time, it's an advantage for analytics oriented players because we are able to calculate like the probabilities and we can see how the fixture can fall and get prepared for those. And, and our goal here is to give people a good framework for the fixture possibilities and the way it could impact the, their overall chip strategies. So Johnny, can you kick us off? Right, here we are. So some of you might have seen this graphic uh, on Twitter before or for audio listeners. Um, this is a predicted fixtures table for game weeks 29, 34 and 37 which are the blanks and double game weeks remaining left in the season, or the, the major ones outside of, for example, double game week 28, where Bournemouth Luton is slotted in, and potentially another one um, where we think one of the Chelsea fixtures might go in, in some conditions. So generally, most seasons, the FA Cup quarterfinals and the FA Cup semifinals clash with a given FPL game week each. Um, so any teams playing in those quarterfinals or their opponents playing in the quarterfinals and the semi-finals will have those fixtures postponed and move to another week, giving us normally quite a large blank week, a smaller blank week, and uh, two double game weeks, um, along with other various permutations. Obviously, in recent years, we've had um, COVID postponements and uh, monarchy bereavements and such. So sometimes we have other other double game weeks outside of that, but that's the general structure of um, the tail end of the FPL season. Um, this year, it's a little bit different to most other years in that the midweek, the, the first available midweek, there's normally two midweeks left um, for these postponements. The first one is the midweek after the FA Cup semifinals. So game week 34 is a potential blank week for some teams, as well as being a potential double game week for some teams. Um, so in this chart, we can see that actually Fulham uh, are quite likely to have a blank because their game week 34 opponents are Liverpool. So Liverpool are one of the favourites to make the FA Cup semi-finals, which would move the Fulham-Liverpool game out of the game week 34 um, midweek and could move to game week 37, we think. Might move to 34. Um, and because Fulham are out of the cup already, and so are Tottenham, their FA Cup quarter-final opponents, then they have a guaranteed fixture in game week 29. So they don't have one to move into 34. So some teams aren't as clear as that. Um, so, for example, we have um, Forest uh, and Man United are quite close on the odds in terms of which team is going to go through in game week 29 and which team is going to have a fixture there. Um, but Man United also play Newcastle in uh, game week 34, who are both quite likely to the semi-finals should they progress. Um, so what we've done here is I've gone through and for game week 29, we can basically use the um, the market odds, so either from SpreadX um, uh, spread market midpoints, or I think these are Bet365 um, cleaned odds um, from Simon. Um, so game week 29 is quite easy in terms of it's it's literally just if one of the teams makes it through to the quarterfinals, then that game is off. If neither team makes it through, then that game is on. Um, so that one we can deduce from the bookies odds. Game week 34, we can deduce the weekend odds from inferred semi-final odds. So if either team makes the semi-final, then their game in the weekend will have to be postponed. Um, and then the other numbers that make up this are how likely we think a game from 29 is to go into either the 34 midweek or the 37 midweek. 
and how likely we think it is for the 34 weekend game to go to the 34 midweek or the 37 midweek. Which sounds a little bit confusing. Uh, I hope people have followed along. I hope I've said the right things. I'm sure I'll still correct me. <laughs> correct there. Um, but essentially, that's how we project these odds. So some games are more likely to go into 34 than 37. So, for example, one that we think is more likely to move there if it's postponed from 29 is Everton-Liverpool because Everton-Liverpool, as the penultimate game of the season, um, could prove some policing issues. I think they'd rather not have the Merseyside derby as a potential title decider um, at Goodison Park. Um, as well as a few other ones, sometimes we have issues with um, the Premier League preferring to avoid a home-home or an away-away finish. Um, so we're not entirely sure. That's a bit more conjectural on whether games will fall into 34 or 37. And of course, we have another Chelsea-Tottenham game still to rearrange with Chelsea still in the FA Cup. So that makes a lot of things quite confusing. Um, but the key things to remember at the moment are, while there's lots of permutations, there are two... Um, cliffs, I think Alice just described them as, um, where we'll get quite a lot of information. So the one that's coming just up is ahead of game week 27, um, where we'll have the FA Cup round five results and the quarterfinal draw. So we'll have game week 29 confirmed there, because we know who's in the quarterfinals. We'll have a bit more information on game week 34 postponements, because we'll have odds for who's going to progress through the quarterfinals. And should we get a draw like Man United-Newcastle, then we know that that game's definitely postponed from the weekend because one of them has to qualify through. Um, but we won't have too much more of an idea of where the games will go <clears throat> are postponed, 34 or 37. So that comes in game week 30 or 31. I think it's 30. Depends if they delay it. Um, so over the international break, after game week 29, which is where the quarterfinals are, then we'll have the semi-finalists confirmed. So that's the weekend of Game Week 34 confirmed. Um, and we should, based on the precedent for how long it takes the Premier League to announce a game, um, we should have the Game Week 34 midweek games announced, from which we can infer Game Week uh, 37 uh, based on the remaining ones. Chelsea, again, gets a bit confusing because they might or might not have another game to go in outside of those midweeks. Um I think that's that's most of it. And I've talked quite a bit through that. So um No, I think that's that's spot on and it's um it's great. I think looking at this chart, one thing to highlight um uh, that's quite important is for all teams but one, there is a maximum limit number of games that, that these teams can have across thirty-four and thirty-seven. Um because the only team with the if a team makes it to the FA Cup semi-finals. Mm -hmm. That is the only way that they are likely to have a game week 37 double. Uh, but if they do that, then they can't play more than one Premier League game within game week 34. So you'll see all of these numbers add up to less than three. Um, mm -hmm. And it's less than that in the vast majority of cases because there's some probability that the relevant teams get knocked, a bit, knocked out of the FA Cup either uh, before the quarterfinals or in the quarterfinals. The only team that could have four fixtures across 34 and 37 is Chelsea. And that's because they've got the existing uh, Tottenham uh, game to reschedule as well. Mm. Um, so there is kind of a natural maximum and minimum here for most teams. The, the minimum is going to be two, even for a team like Fulham. Uh, you know, you'll see those numbers add up to two because if they blank in 34 through the scenario that, that JC laid out, they almost certainly will double in 37, but they also have a natural maximum of three. 
Um, and so uh, that's it's been discussed, but it's it's fed into a lot of the narrative uh, and, and should feed into our thinking about uh, chip strategy because you are likely to uh, not benefit from teams. Uh, it's possible that Chelsea does, but other than Chelsea, it's unlikely that any other team goes double, double across these two game weeks. So hmm. um, you're kind of going to want to chop and change. And, and one natural way to, to do that is by using a chip either in one of these game weeks, uh, either the free hit chip or the wildcard week, uh, wildcard chip, uh, free hit chip in one of these game weeks or the wildcard chip between these game weeks would be the two obvious uh, ways to approach the problem to maximize the number of fixtures you get access to. I I think that's why we've been able to talk about the idea of 29, 34 and 37. You almost need three different teams for that. And that's kind of been true based on the nature of the structure of the season rather than based on who's been qualifying through. So in order to have a, a double game week in 34, you basically, unless you had Bournemouth Luton had gone in there or something like that, you need to have had a game week 29 game postponed to go into it. So Chelsea were the only team who possibly could have had a 29 fixture and a 34 double. Um, and actually, we think that's a bit less likely now because they're still in the cup. Um, and for a team to double in game week 34 and 37, they would need they themselves to not make the semi-finals because they'd need that weekend game in game week 34. They'd need the 29 game to move into 34 or 37, and they'd need an extra fixture. So we thought Bournemouth Luton were one uh, Bournemouth were ones who might have that um, because Bournemouth Luton could have fitted in 34 or 37. It's been put in 28, so that's why. Almost no team is very unlikely we have a 34-37 double-double. And it's very unlikely we have a 29-34 playing in a double. Um, and that, that even that that holds for 29-37. to 37. We're very unlikely to have much overlap there. Um, so that's why the, um, the fixtures themselves uh, and the structure of the calendar has led to this separate separation and lack of overlap rather than the results. Um, so we've, we have known this for a little while. Uh, I will ask a very naive question. So we were also uh, talking about a possible triple game week uh, possibility for Liverpool, if I remember correctly. So is it no longer possible or is there still a slight chance of happening? That was There was a delay in the announcement of Liverpool-Luton oh, okay. when people expected it was going to be announced and it That's ended true. up being announced on a, a Saturday morning, I believe. Um, and so... There was about 12 hours of hand-wringing of what, what's the Premier League uh, doing because they're running the risk of Liverpool having a triple game week in game week 37. Uh, yeah. But with the announcement of that fixture, it makes um, a, a triple game week for any team, uh, I, I think, would require you know unexpected you know, new, new rounds of postponement okay. for non-cup-related reasons no. at this point in the season. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks. So the the Manchester United treble game week that some people remember from a couple of seasons ago was essentially this Liverpool scenario where they didn't arrange it earlier and they ran into trouble because Man United progressed through in in Europe and the FA Cup, so they ran out of space to put it in. But we saw was it last season they were more proactive and they put Manchester United uh, game in a bit earlier. So yeah, we were expecting them to do that, but we weren't expecting them to do it so late for still anyway. Um, so we're not expecting any treble game weeks, sadly. Okay. <laughs> um, so don't feel like you've wasted your triple captainship on. <laughs> on the yes. 
who's blank. Yes, it's from. Um, yeah, so so the sort of teams who are likely to double just very quickly um, in game week thirty four are teams who their their opponents are the ones who are qualifying through to the quarterfinals because that means that they're not their semi final game is their semi final they're not going to make the semi final so game week thirty four they should have the extra game and we think the twenty nine game we're going to thirty four so I'll just move over to our uh, everyone's favorite Venn diagram. <laughs> Um, so this is the predicted fixtures um, for what James from Planet FPL has put them in, in terms of binary fixtures. So where they might go, let me zoom in a little bit. Um, so what we have here is we have Burnley, Aston Villa, Brentford, Luton, Forest and West Ham, all playing in game week 29 and not having any doubles later on. Um, I think in, I've forgotten exactly which, West Ham and is it Burnley? have guaranteed single, 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 barring exceptional circumstances, because they're both out of the FA Cup, their game week 29 opponents are out of the FA Cup, and their game week 34 opponents are out of the FA Cup. Correct. So we're not expecting doubles or blanks for either of those teams. Um, whereas Luton play Brentford in game week 34, and Luton is still in the Cup, they've got Man City, so in order for them to have a blank or a double, they'd have to reach the semi-finals, which we think is unlikely. Um, same with Forest, they'd have to make the semi-finals themselves. Uh, and Aston Villa, I think, is it Bournemouth? They play in game week thirty-four. Correct. Correct. Cool. Good. Good memory. I'm glad I'm, I'm getting yeah. that right. Um, so double game week thirty-four, we think are teams like Arsenal, Crystal Palace, Everton, and Sheffield. Um, so that would be Arsenal having their game with Wolves remaining in game week um, thirty-four, and Arsenal, Chelsea moving in. From game week 29, so that would be their game week 29 blank moving to game week 34. The same with Sheffield United, they'd have their Sheffield United Man United game moving to 34. Um, Palace would have Palace Newcastle moving to 34, and Everton would have Everton Liverpool moving to 34. So these are teams who are playing uh, a team who we think are likely to make the quarterfinals or the semi finals in the FA Cup in game week 29, but are playing a weaker opponent in game week 34. So we think their game week 34 game will still be on giving them a double. Uh, and all four of these teams are already out the cup themselves. So they can't make the semifinals. Uh, which leaves most of the rest of the teams with a likely double in game week 37. So the assumption here is that most game week 29 postponements will go into 34, and most game week 34 postponements will go into the midweek of game week 37. We have an exception in this instance where Wolves Bournemouth has moved from 29 to 37. Um, we think there may be some potential balancing of, of midweek um, number of fixtures in game week 34 and 37. Um, or at least that's James's theory here. Um, so again, that's a bit conjectural. They might not decide to do that. Um, they might move another fixture. Uh, I'm not sure if there's anything specific about Wolves-Bournemouth that would move it there. But No, it's a non-TV fixture. It, it would be kind of... Uh, it's not been picked by TV, so um, it would be really about kind of just balancing out how the the midweek games are stacked up, even though there's no TV considerations. Um, if if it were to move, if that were the only one to move into 37 in th instead of 34, so sure. So I, this is kind of proving the point that while we may be able to give good estimates of who's going to make the quarterfinals and the semifinals, and actually we have quite a few heavy favourites in round five for making the quarterfinals. Um, the moving of the postponements to 34 and 37 is something that is quite hard to predict and it's more to do with 
what the Premier League and the broadcasters want. Um, we should get a bit more information about that as well when the Game Week 35 TV fixtures are announced. I can't remember exactly when they are. If you remember, Alistair. 30, the Game Week 35? 35, is that right? Is that what Tala said? I, I, I think that would likely be in conjunction. It would be prior to Game Week 31, I think. Okay, right, similar time. Um, uh, yes, he was he was predicting what he thought the Game Week 35 mm. TV right. picks might be, and he was using that to influence. So there's levels beyond even what I can understand. <laughs> um, so if you're feeling lost, then we feel lost sometimes too. Um, <laughs> I, but, I think uh, it's it's important to say this this Venn diagram. We we can move things around on the fly if we can figure it out here, JC. Let's do it. But it all flows from who makes the FA Cup semi-finals. And so the underlying assumption within this projection is that really four of the five most likely teams based on the FA Cup winner odds make the semi-finals. That's Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, and one of uh, Manchester United or Newcastle uh, because they play each other in 34. So it kind of doesn't matter which one of those two made it. So the probability of that being the FA Cup semi-final slate at this point is extremely low, even though they're the favourites. And and not only do they have to win their matches and multiple matches to get to the semi-finals as favourites, but they also need to dodge each other in the draw. So, um, oh, okay. you know, if if for if I think the worst in terms of kind of chaos or uh, something that's not good for planning um, by game week 27, the worst outcome would be Liverpool and Man City draw each other in the quarterfinals. Because you mean, you mean the best outcome? The worst outcome for planning, <laughs> the, the best outcome for a yeah, later yeah, yeah. user. I, I enjoy the chaos. <laughs> um, because it would mean, uh, basically, it's going to fall one of two ways where one of those teams, whoever lost that matchup, would move into being a likely doubler in 34. So let's say Liverpool lost, they would move over into that category of the Venn diagram um, and Man City moves in the other direction. And so, you know, given that the captaincy candidates, you know, most of the season have been and likely will be through the end of the season have been uh, Mo Salah and Erling Haaland, um, that will be awkward um, because you'll want one of them in game week 34 and one of them in game week 37. It certainly would promote the idea that a free hit in one of those weeks would be very, very valuable or um, for, for teams that have very high team value or just want to force it in having both uh, for that period would be critical. Um, mm. But there's, there's lots more swing factors uh, than that. So Wolves making it to the semifinals um, would be, a real spanner in the works for lots of reasons. Um, they would technically stay in, in that uh, segment of the Venn diagram, but then Arsenal would move over from the likely doubler in 34 to a likely doubler in 37. And obviously we're going to have lots of Arsenal assets and want to plan our chips around when we get them in and take them out. Um, mm. And I suppose the, 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 the other one, JC said in the build-up to this, um, anything that touches Chelsea right now and happens to Chelsea in the cup competitions has far-reaching implications uh, because if they go out in the quarterfinal stage exactly, if they beat Leeds in the fifth round but then go out in the next round, let's say they draw Man City, 
and then they're expected to go out in the next round. They would then fit in a very interesting and unique part of the Venn diagram. They would likely double in 34 and 37. Mm. So they'd be a valuable team that suddenly you could just build, you know, Chelsea assets in advance of that and play them through without potentially playing a chip in one or other of the weeks. Um, And um, I suppose the other swing factor in the fifth round that a lot of people know about, but I think the most important matchup for chip planning and ultimately how the rest of the season is going to play out and who we pick and when is uh, Manchester United against Nottingham Forest. Uh, It's a close game in the bookies odds, about 60-40 in Manchester United's uh, favour because Forest are at home. Um, but <clears throat> kind of that will the the outcome of that game. Uh, if if Man United goes out, they 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 could move. They certainly play in game week twenty nine. Uh, but they they uh, might and and Nottingham Forest would would obviously move out of that uh, probably into the thirty four bucket mm-hmm. because that they'd be expected to lose against most opponents unless they got lucky and drew whoever wins between Coventry and Maidstone. Um, uh, they would be expected to lose in the next round. Uh, but uh, Man United might, if, if uh, they might actually drop into a different category of the Venn diagram because they play Newcastle in game week 34. Um, so they might then sit alongside Fulham and, uh, and uh, Spurs uh, with an expected double in 37 if Newcastle were to get to the semifinals. So you'll see there's lots of ways that this moves around based on outcomes. But uh, long story short, I think the three big things to look out for in FA Cup fifth round week for FPL purposes, aside from the fun of the FA Cup, is the outcome of uh, uh, Forest versus uh, Man, Man United, uh, what whether Leeds gets through, and then how the draw falls, and particularly how the draw falls for uh, Liverpool, Man City, uh, and Chelsea, because that will uh, move lots of things around. Okay, I have two two naive questions before you continue, Johnny. Uh, the first one is about the draw. So after the fifth round, there will be a draw for quarter final. Is it the same case for semi final, or is it like an you know a, a known bracket after the quarter final draws? The, the semi-final draw is not till after the quarterfinals. Is that right? Yes, but, but then... you're right. It's not predetermined. So it's every round. So yeah, there every round. Immediately they, after they one of the televised yeah. uh, quarterfinal games, there will be an S, you know, a semi-final draw where they pick four balls out of the out yeah. of lottery bucket. And will this semi-final draws affect anything or it doesn't matter? Like only the teams that will make to the semi-final matter here. It doesn't matter for FPL purposes, I which see. is why actually, even if they had done the the bracket, the full bracket draw, which they sometimes do in like the Champions League, the full bracket draw, then it affects who's going to win the FA Cup, obviously. Um, but it you just need to make the semi-finals, so okay. that's what affects the fixture movement. Making the final, the final is at the end of the season. It doesn't clash with anything, so the semi-final itself clashes. So just being in it, um, is what matters. Okay, and another naive question here. So you moved, like for example, Manchester United from play in game week twenty nine to the intersection of play in game week twenty nine, but also double in game week thirty seven. 
meaning that they are having mar- one more fixture, like one more game in Game Week 37. But where is that game coming from? Is it coming from so Game Week 34? Yes, the, the thing about this section here, which I haven't actually marked on the diagram, is that that means that they're blanking in 34. Oh, okay. Unless due to unusual circumstances. So um, here, Fulham would play their game against Spurs in 29, like we do here. Um, actually, Sheffield would then play in 29 over here. Uh, and because we've moved Liverpool, Fulham would have moved. So it's all moving around, but we'll stick with where they are. Fulham play Spurs in 29. Fulham do not... I'll put them back. Uh, Fulham do not play Liverpool in 34 because Liverpool made the semi-finals. They don't have a game to move into 34 because their 29 game was on. And then they play Liverpool in game week 37 as well as their their, their other fixture. Um, Spurs is the same. They play Fulham in 29. They don't play Man City in 34 and don't have a rearrangement. So that would be a blank. And then they play their 37 fixture against Man City and their other fixture. Uh, and Man United would be playing Sheffield United in 29. No game against Newcastle and no rearrangement in 34. And then playing uh, Newcastle in 37 midweek as well as their 37 fixture. So other than Chelsea moving here or potentially even here in some instances, um, going into the middle here isn't adding to your total, as we said before. So you, you've still maxed out with three fixtures. Um, I thought that was too complicated to add like another Venn diagram color. Mm. Um, yeah, but yeah. it's a very good question. So in order to... Apart from Chelsea, who are complicated, in order to have to fit into two of these circles, you have to have blanked in the other one. Um, okay. And actually, Chelsea sense. being here means they would blank in 29 anyway. Um, it's just that they would double double. So that's where the extra fixture comes from. But in some instances, Man United might have that set of results, but they might move Man United Newcastle to the midweek and Newcastle Crystal Palace to game week 37. So Man United still might end up, uh, actually then they just play in 29 and wouldn't double. So there's still some area of, even if we can project what the fixtures are, we don't know exactly where all the postponements are going to go. Mm, um, which is where it gets slightly even more complicated. <laughs> and the only other thing to to mention about information and when we get it, um, the the quarterfinal draw in 27, I said the, the worst case for information and planning would be Man City and Liverpool drawing each other. But there is actually an opposite end of the spectrum where two teams drawing each other would give us a lot more information about projected blanks and doubles. Because if both Man, Man United mm-hmm. and Newcastle get through and then draw each other in the quarterfinals, we would have that game as a confirmed blank in 34 because we know that one of the they play each other in the Premier League yeah. in game week 34 and we know that one of them is going to get through and therefore that that game's going to be a blank and the same thing could happen with um you know an, a very impactful draw would be Brighton uh getting through against Wolves and Chelsea getting through against Leeds and then them drawing each other um that would then confirm both of those teams having a, a blank on the weekend of game week 34. Um, and it would have all the ramifications that flow from that, um, that notably would almost guarantee Chelsea a double in 37. It pretty much would guarantee them a double in 37. And it would mean their other double would have to move into one of 35, 36. Technically, it could even move into 33 at that point. 
uh, because that would have been determined quite early with enough notice time. So um, there's a few uh, interesting things in the draw that could make us, uh, that would give us a lot more information about who's going to blank when and who's going to double when. Okay. Yet another name question coming from me. So we were talking about the binary fixtures, but as I understand, like draws have an impact on, you know, what happens. So then how do we come up with the binary fixtures? Do we just, you know, assume that these teams will, you know, uh, draw each other? So the any, any given like specific pairing of the draw is, is quite unlikely. Obviously, there has yeah. to be a draw, um, but you're quite unlikely to draw a specific opponent because even in the quarterfinals, there's seven other teams uh, or six other teams and the team that you would be trying to pick the draw. So the assumption just has to be that they don't draw each other. So the odds for making the semifinals um, don't factor in, or they do factor in that, you you know, the better teams are more likely to make the quarters, so you're less likely to go through, whereas your odds of making the semifinals would go up between qualifying and the draw happening mm. if lots of good teams go out because your average opponent is going to be weaker. Um, so that's where the binary fixtures come from, but that's why we also have to be aware that they're not any particular, they're not particularly likely that one given binary set of outcomes. So maybe we can touch on it a little bit when we talk about the solver. It's much more useful to solve with binary fixtures in some instances um, because it allows you to evaluate in a different way. But it's not necessarily saying you should pick these players that the solver has suggested because they're tied to that specific scenario, whereas there are too many scenarios for us to consider. If there are two or three, then we can do that. But there's so many that we can't really say this binary outcome is is quite likely. Um, even the even the set of games that will happen in game at 29, um, we've got a chart in a little bit that shows actually even the most likely scenario is only about 20% of the time. Yeah, I saw that. Um, so so we we yeah we assume that they don't they don't match up against each other because it's quite likely that one pairing happens, but we 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 can't predict it. The draw is compl- well. We're told the draw is random, um, <laughs> so I'd like to believe it is, um, and we can't do some analysis on. I don't think anyone's quite got to the point of looking up who's doing the draw, um, <laughs> whether they've favoured home away ties for certain players. But I'm sure we're not too far away from trying to predict that, wasting our time having fun. <laughs> right. Yes. So here we have the um, the possible fixture scenarios table for game week twenty nine. Um, so this is ranking the likelihood of any given set of fixtures being the games that we have in game at 29. Um, shout out to Simon, analytic underscore FPL, um, who helped me with this. He, he did all the, the simulations based on the market odds that we, we showed earlier um, to deduce how likely each given pairing is. So we can see at the top, the most likely um, sets are, well, we've got Burnley, Brentford, Fulham, Tottenham and West Ham Villa are the confirmed fixtures, so they're on in every scenario, barring, well, we never know, something unusual happens, um, can't predict everything, but they should be on, no cut postponement will happen to, to move those. Um, Luton against Nottingham Forest and Man United against Sheffield United are probably the two most likely games to drop in. Uh, we know that only one of them can drop in, uh, or at, at most one, they can't both drop in because uh, that depends, oh no, they can both drop in, can they? 
no, no. You're, you, what you said was correct. Uh, yes. if, okay. if, if Man United beats Forest, um, then Man U. Uh, sure. Sheffield yes. United okay. is definitely a blank. If Forest wins, then Luton, not yes. Forest, definitely a blank. Uh, it's the other way around. They exactly. can both not it be. Could neither happen. Yes, it could be that neither happen if Luton beat Manchester City, um, and then Man United win. In which case, Man United are through and can't play Sheffield, and Luton mm-hmm. are through and can't play Forest, who lost to Man United, who aren't in it. Right. But it's pretty likely because the odds of Luton beating uh, Man City is around ten percent ballpark. Um, that the loser of Nottingham Forest against Man United, their game will drop into 29. So the most likely scenarios are the three we had confirmed mm. and one of the two. So that's 21% and 13% we've worked out. But even then, that's about a third of all possible scenarios, giving those four. So it's quite likely we have these four. We've got a 39% chance of having four fixtures. So that's one dropping in. So that is either... Luton Forest, Man United, Sheffield, um, or in some instances, Brighton Man City is the only game that drops in, um, which would be rather unusual, but could happen. Um, it's almost as likely that we have five fixtures. So that would be a 41.2% chance. So that would essentially be probably Luton. Uh, so it would be Luton Forest or Man United, Sheffield, and what people are saying is a cup upset. So it's quite likely we have a cup upset. We don't know where it is. It might be Newcastle lose to Blackburn. It might be Chelsea lose to Leeds. It might be Liverpool lose to Southampton. Um, each of those individually is relatively unlikely based on being the stronger team. But because we need them all to go, all the favourites way for them to all be off, then there's quite a high chance that one of them drops in. So if you want to really broadly just narrow it down to these are the kinds of scenarios that happen, it's probably Luton or Luton Forest or Man United Sheffield and or another random game dropping in. Not random, the losing team. Um, be that Palace Newcastle, Arsenal Chelsea, Wolves Bournemouth, or less likely, Everton Liverpool, Brighton Man City. Um, so we can see the different pairings here. But again, as you see, most individual scenarios are, you know, even the more popular ones are around two, three, four percent likely to happen so we don't we we can't plan for a specific fixture slate yet um alistair's having a go uh with his wild card um but uh, you can hedge your bets in some ways i know some people are playing it this week so i'm sure everyone will be interested to hear your thoughts and processes on it but essentially that's what we're expecting we're expecting probably luton forest or man united sheffield and maybe another one dropping in due to a cup upset um there is even a scenario where we have only two blanks um, and eight games being on, albeit a very unlikely one. Um, and slightly more likely, we have one where none of the games are on, apart from the three we have confirmed already. So unlikely, but we might get some really unusual sets of fixture um, scenarios. I'm sure we've seen it happen similar ways before. Yes, and obviously that has a 0.2% case, I think. Luton yeah. would have to beat City. Forest would have to beat uh, Manchester United. Yep. Um, and then you need all the Wolves would. Wolves would pr- likely have to beat um, Brighton, so that yes. fixture goes on. Um, and then whatever happens with Bournemouth, Leicester wouldn't matter. Leeds would have to beat Chelsea, uh, and um, 
yeah, Southampton, Southampton Newcastle. Newcastle. So if, yeah. if that happens, um, that would be beautifully, you know, anti-chaotic, mm-hmm. um, but is extremely unlikely. I think that there's another. I think there is one other one where you switch it and Brighton City is on, so they both lose, uh, which means and then Luton Forest is off and Wolves right. Bournemouth comes on. But uh, fiddly and again that is point one of a percent. So <laughs> don't spend too long trying to figure that one out. But as you can see from the expected number of fixtures, it's actually nearer five because there are there are sixteen percent of the time we actually get six games on. Um, so. More most likely four or five fixtures. One of those four is probably Luton Forest or Man United Sheffield, based on who loses. Um, so in terms of prepping for game week twenty nine, um, it's quite hard to to pick um, because some of these games have uh, well, if you want Luton, Luton double in twenty eight, but might play in twenty nine, but don't play in twenty six. Um, so the combinations are quite difficult to to manage which is why some people I think are looking at free hitting in 29 and sort of ignoring it because we know 26 to 33 barring something unusual we know the slate for so by the time you've got round to 34 actually you've had a lot of info on the way so I think it's not just the fact that free hit 29 lets you avoid it it also lets you wait for all the info and um, while you don't make a huge gain because there might only be for so fixtures, um, it allows you to plan around it and kind of switch off from all the info. Okay, I'm sold. I, I can't use my. Free hit. You want it? Okay. <laughs> uh, it's not as useful if eight games are on, but I guess you can yeah, just back sure. out then. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for explaining all this, uh, Johnny and Alistair. And one thing I'm just dying to learn is why. Despite all these uncertainties and all these possibilities, draws and whatnot, Alistair is wildcarding this game week. Uh, so it, I, it feels like there's you're taking a huge bet on the fixtures and you know how the the fixtures will fall. Yes, it's it's probably unadvisable. But uh, <laughs> I guess how I how I came to that conclusion was sort of an extension of the the just directional uh, thought we've already had that you need different teams in 29, 34, and 37. Mm-hmm. I feel like you almost uh, also needed a different team back in 25. Uh, you, you were picking your spots um, between all those weeks on whether you're going to take hits for those transitions or use chips for those transitions. And so I decided to fully attack um, uh, game week 25, uh, bringing in loads of uh, players that are going to blank in 26 and highly probable to blank in 29 uh, and decide to use uh, oh, okay. a late after that time frame uh, to kind of reset and give myself uh, a full playing 11. And uh, I think there's a way that you can cobble through something that uh, has decent probabilities of fielding 11 players in 29 um, with also some optionality to switch courses and free hit 29 uh, and try and play through the 34-37 transition in the event that something uh, different happens uh, in mm-hmm. the FA Cup draw. So um, I've thrown up on screen uh, the uh, uh, A draft of a wildcard 26. I'm far from settled on it yet. I'm enjoying the stupid price farming and tinkering that goes on <laughs> in wildcard week. Um, 
but uh, I think uh, basically uh, Manchester United is a very interesting team for wild carding this week. Uh, they obviously have a, uh, they are a swing team on whether they'll have a game in 29 or not, uh, based on how their fixture with Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup goes. But if they uh, go out to Forest, um, which would be an upset and would suggest, um, you know, a dip in the previous resurgence in form, of course, but setting that aside, if they go out, um, then they would be a very, very attractive team for all of this intervening period. Uh, because they'd have a confirmed fixture in 29. Uh, they could double, and they probably still have a decent uh, probability of doubling in 37, uh, which is when I would still like to play bench boost, uh, mm-hmm. because uh, Newcastle, uh, if they get past Blackburn, um, would only need to win one more fixture to get to the semifinals and therefore blank their 34 fixture and uh, likely double in 37 with Man United. Um and in the near term, uh, you know, United have some very favorable fixtures. So um, they're an interesting team. And, and you can also sort of pair them with a Luton player. So in this draft, you'll see I've got uh, Diogo Dallo and I've got Doughty on the bench. Hmm. And like JC was running through, um, neither of those are confirmed uh, 29 players uh, yet. But it is highly likely that you get one of them. So um, you kind of have a natural hedge there where uh, you're picking two players that aren't confirmed uh, to have a fixture in 29 yet, but you know, you're pretty sure that one of them will. Um, And and with them both being defenders, that's a nice pair. So in this draft, um, I suppose you've got Pau Torres uh, has a confirmed 29. Um, I have uh, Watkins has a confirmed 29. I have a goalkeeper that has a confirmed 29. Uh, And then on the bench, I have Richarlison and Son Mm -hmm. that would have confirmed 29. uh, And I would have a strong probability of getting either Doughty or Dallow. And then I would have uh, a transfer in 27, a transfer in in 28, and a transfer in 29 to, to boost my number of playing players based on the outcomes. Uh, of the FA Cup. And, you know, also in light of what JC said, um, uh, you know, the probability there is one cup set uh, is decently high. So there's a chance that, you know, Leeds beat Chelsea and suddenly Gabriel and Saka play. Um, There's a chance that uh, Leicester beat Bournemouth and uh, Brighton beat Wolves. And and, and suddenly I'd have sort of hit the jackpot. I'd have Sanesi, uh, Huang Yichan, and Solanke uh, all playing. And so no concerns really about um, uh, about fielding 11 in 29. Um, the, the fixture scenarios for this, for which this is, uh, this draft is pretty bad looking in 29, um, is probably, uh, unfortunately, the most probable one. Uh, where Luton, uh, uh, Nottingham Forest is the only game that goes back in uh, because I think out of memory, I would have eight starters before hits um, in 29 after using those uh, those transfers to bring in players that do play. Um, and so in that case, or in a case where uh, the Luton uh, Forest game plus uh Crystal Palace Newcastle game, which I don't have any players from either of those teams in this draft, that would be uh, a bad scenario 
and that weird one where uh, Brighton and um, uh, Man City were the only game added back. That would be a bad scenario. But those three in in combination um, make up about a third of the possibilities. And I think in all of the others, I would have at least nine playing players in uh, in game week 29 from this draft. Um, again, and then you have to probably get called out in the comments for this, but uh, that's based off of memory and throwing this draft together a little earlier. Um, uh, and, and it could be plenty more than that. It could be a very comfortable playing 11. And I like the structure of the team uh, for then getting me through to free hit in 34 and bench boost in, in 37 um, because I would have a lot of uh, transfers between 29 when presumably until 29 I'm using that to bring in players that play in 29. But after that, I would be kind of naturally using a lot of transfers to bring in players from the bigger teams who are likely the ones that are going to be kind of guaranteed to double in 37, uh, building you know, EV in the meantime and getting me to a place where I could bench boost in, in 37 by using those uh, seven transfers. So that's the thought process. It could clearly backfire. Um, but, you know, the, the starting point was really wanting to attack game week 25. Uh, which has backfired. Um, R.I.P. Diogo Jota and uh, get well soon. Uh, Darwin Nunez putting my Liverpool fan hat on. Um, but uh, I think the other the other consideration, you know, using chips versus deferring chips, it's it's often conflated with info value. Um, it it informa new information always has value, but it doesn't necessarily always tip in the favor of you should have saved your chips. Um, if in these scenarios where there are loads of cup sets, cup upsets this uh, fifth round, and we get six fixtures into uh, game week 29, that subtracts a bunch of double game weeks from game week 34 and game week 37. So in hindsight, if that happens, if there's six or more fixtures uh, that land, it might start to look like grabbing the EV now by not taking hits to get through this 25-26 transition uh, might start to have looked like a better decision. In the most likely scenarios where um, the big teams um, are the ones that get through to the semifinals and there are only four fixtures that are added to 29, uh, for most managers that are using those binary fixtures, they are seeing the benefit of waiting for certainty of the fixtures. And I totally um, understand and get that. And people that didn't overcommit on, on game week 25 doublers uh, from Liverpool and Luton specifically um, are in uh, are already in a position where that's obviously the right decision. Um, but there's, there's ways that FA Cup fixtures and the implications on blanks and doubles can actually make deferring use of chips look worse, not better. And most people just think more information means I should have waited. And I don't think that's always true. The, the other thing to note on um, reasons why chips later might not bring the value that we think they might, they might bring more value. You know, that, that, that is the risk that you're taking. But you're betting the EV that you've managed to gain in 25 and 26 by yeah. attacking and then wildcarding out of it you're betting that amount that you won't have it later, which is a, a reasonable bet for some people who have either deliberately done that or might find themselves in a position where actually they have, I don't want to say inadvertently attacked Game Week 25, but 
Liverpool and City had a double. That's a very good reason to bring those players in, especially when Liverpool had Burnley just before it. But not only is there instances where cup sets make game week 34 smaller, um, we might see that the moving of fixtures from 29 to 37 and 34 to the 34 midweek happens, which is what happened in it was 2017-18 that Ben was talking about. So actually, in that scenario, almost all of the game week, the FA Cup quarterfinal postponements moved to the latter midweek and a lot of almost all of the semi-final postponements moved to the midweek of the same game week in which case double game week 34 is quite small in that instance it had three doubles and one blank i think um but we have also seen in the past where so that, that was another season where the semi-final was followed by the free available midweek in 2012-13 there was a big version of this so we had five doubles and we actually had three blanks for i think it was west brom swansea and and spurs um so it's not just you need a cup set you might get scenarios where the fixture slate happens as we might expect it to or in a likely scenario but the premier league moves the games in such a way that actually game with 34 is a bit of a a dud it might be a really exciting you know couple of blanks four or five doubles in which case that's probably where your free hit goes for a lot of people um, and people who've used it in game week 29 to try and manage that maybe haven't, you know, they're not as well set. Um, but it might be that actually it's just there's only a couple of extra doubles and one team blanking, which might be Fulham that maybe isn't necessarily so relevant. Um, so there are other reasons why we, I, certain injuries happen as well. You know, Haaland's in for a while and actually you're well set with whoever, or Staller or vice versa. Um so there are other reasons why you might not realise the EV later beyond just some cup sets. So I think that's that's the reason for the bet. Yeah. Um, and, and there's always uncertainty. This happens earlier in the season. People yeah. wildcard eight because they can attack Burnley Luton double um, and it works out and they get lots of price rises. But some people wait for the, the blank game week 18 and the double game week 20, which we thought was happening, what didn't happen. Um, and actually, in the end, I think both of those scenarios proved valuable about playing them. But we don't know what the value is later. So yeah. if you see a massive EV increase this week, don't just put it off because <laughs> things will be better later. Yeah. And yeah. I think the one other thing I mentioned that in a third of the fixture scenarios for 29, I'm still going to have a tough time getting through 29 with, with this specific uh, draft. Um, but the, the other thing that might make that okay and make um you know game week playing the free hit in 29 look look a bit better than it does right now with the view of uh 34 and 37 having so little overlap and kind of needing a chip to navigate is chelsea if chelsea get through but draw man city or liverpool in the quarterfinals or or brighton if they draw any of those three opponents then that they will be probable to double in 34 and 37. And that could unlock a scenario where um, you might, using the free hit in 34 gets a bit worse. And, yeah. and so uh, that's one of the other things sure. kind of flowing through my mind when I'm, uh, when I'm, when I'm making this uh, fairly insane looking decision. I mean, among all the people who are probably wildcarding in 26, you might be the only person who thought this, uh, so the, this detail, I mean, this is one of the, you know, best explanation of why someone is wildcarding I have seen. But yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I, like if you have I been planning you were it, say the, 
one of the only people who'd deliberately planned to do it rather than seen their game week 26 team and gone, oh, maybe I should wildcard. Yes, <laughs> exactly. You know, you, you know the graph, like there are lots of people who are just, you know, wildcarding yeah. because they just saw their team and then they, they, they're scared. Which is still fine. They've just accidentally followed us. Yeah, Alistair. sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think the other thing to point out with a lot of the things you were discussing in terms of the the hedging or picking players who well, you've got that pairing or they might double or actually um, in the scenarios where they play in 29, you don't free hit, but in the scenarios where they don't, you might free hit is actually still relevant to a lot of people making their kind of their last transfer before we get that big chunk of information. Um, so for me, wildcard 26 doesn't make sense, but wildcard 27 might in some scenarios. So I want to leave it open that I might play through, but I might not, which I think is what a lot of people are trying to do. Um, and we can't just roll a transfer because you might wildcard, but also because we've got a lot of blanks this week. Um, so for me, something like, I think I'm probably going to bring in Huang Hee-chan because he's got such a good fixture this week. But not only that, if Wolves-Bournemouth ends up on in 29, uh, that means I'll already have Solanke, I'll have Huang Hee-chan in place. I can then pick up Sinesi and Neto and play through, and I don't need to play my free hit 29. Mm. Whereas if the game's off, free hit 29 might make more sense. And in the same vein, the player I'm probably going to sell for them is either Richarlison or Cole Palmer. Now, Richarlison's got a confirmed fixture in 29. I'm not set on this, but it might make more sense for me to sell Richarlison and hold on to Palmer, because if Arsenal-Chelsea drops in, I've got triple Arsenal, in which case I probably will have another reason to play through 29. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's not there, I'll want to free hit 29, and then Chelsea have got a good chance of the double in 34 or 37 or even both. So actually, it's not just going, okay, what makes most sense in all the scenarios for what 29 and forward might look like, but it's also going which ones make sense for which chip strat I might want to play. So if I can pick a player who makes sense in certain scenarios where I'll want to free hit or not free hit, in both instances, I'm not sure I've explained that perfectly, but I think you you can see how actually selling a player with a guaranteed 29 fixture for a player without a guaranteed 29 fixture and holding on to one who doesn't necessarily have one can still make sense for your team because you're still gaining expected value in the meantime and you know that in these scenarios you free hit and in these ones you don't anyway. So you can gain overall. So... I'm not sure how that exactly applies to other people's teams, but I think it's worth thinking through these permutations and trying to see under what circumstances might you free hit and therefore you can play as if you were going to. And if you don't free hit, then you can play through because you've picked someone who who fits with the permutations where you don't. So Arsenal, a lot of people have a lot of Arsenal. Arsenal, Chelsea drops in. Maybe Cole Palmer makes more sense because if it doesn't drop in, you free hit 29 anyway. Or or you panic and you wildcard twenty seven, um, <laughs> and you're you're one step behind Alistair and you have his his team as well. Yes, that's correct. Perhaps. Okay, Johnny. Uh, my next question is this: um, Given all this information, like how can you use the optimization solver to come up with a cheap strategy? I mean, and I earlier asked you to maybe have a look at the uh, last talk FPL Andy's team because. We know that there are lots of clones of his team, so it might be relevant to more people. 
But yeah, how how do we do it? Like, do we just use you know just uh, the average EV, or do we go with the binary fixtures? And if we go with the binary fixtures, then how how do you optimize it? So I I think I try and break this down into two steps, um, which I think sometimes get a little bit conflated, and that's that's it's not an error, but sometimes you can you can sort of miss some things. So I think the first thing that we want to do is try and find which chip strategies are going to have the most EV available. So which which paths are going to have the highest ceiling, top top level. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you can solve through a few and, and a few will stand out and you'll go, okay, these ones are clear or that one's far enough ahead that I don't need to really evaluate it too far. This one just makes sense. Um, that's normally when things are a lot more certain. So I remember a few seasons ago, we had that big drop of, fixtures between game week 26 to 30 um it was like a big double a blank and then two big doubles and then another blank and all the fixtures just got announced at once and people with the solvers were able to throw in these crazy minus 20s that made sense or wild carding it or whatever so actually having all those fixtures there you can you can really maximize with uncertainty i think we want to kind of see some of the plausible scenarios and solve through those so the binary fixtures are quite useful for for finding this higher ceiling or which paths might be the most fruitful. Um, because, for example, earlier in the season, uh, when Bournemouth Luton hadn't been been put in, we there were so many places where it could have gone. So we were yeah. kind of assigning a 0.1, 0.2 value to about seven or eight different weeks. Um, and if you do that, then let's say, let's just say in an average game, Marco Sanessi is the defender and he gets three EV in a normal game so in a double game week, he gets six EV. Yeah. If he's scoring 3.2, 3.5 EV for eight weeks, he might never reach your team, in which case there's no point in getting him in. But if he has threes in all the other ones and a six, he becomes a bench option that you then play in the six EV game week. Yes. So giving it a binary solution allows Marcos Sanessi to show up as a potential buy. Um, and actually, this is something um, Alistair did earlier, where he bought um, Alfie Doughty before before the fixture had been announced, because we were thought it's pretty likely that Luton are going to get a an extra fixture, possibly even two. So while his EV over the horizon isn't huge, he has those one or two weeks where he becomes super useful. He also had a home game against Sheffield, which actually had more expected value than his double game week this week in the end. Um, although he's not yet delivered on too much, but something like that. <laughs> it allows it allows you to see where this double... He delivered in the away fixture. I got him before the away fixture. You did, you did. You got some points. <laughs> I bought him for Sheffield United at home and he's not delivered. Uh, thus far. But uh, I'll take the expected value and pretend it was bad luck rather than a bad pick. Um, so that's why the binary fixtures become useful because you're solving in cases that are more likely to happen. We're never mm-hmm. going to have... Chelsea aren't going to play 45 minutes against Arsenal in game week 29 and 45 minutes against Arsenal in game week 34. Well, as far as I'm aware. So actually, you need to put it in one or the other to kind of see what would happen. So what I tend to do is I'll go to somewhere like FPL Review. Other models are available. Um, mm-hmm. But FPL Review's got a very nice way of inputting some of these binary fixtures. So here I've put in those Planet FPL predicted fixtures that we had before, um, that is sort of a, a plausible outcome for what might happen. And then I've downloaded the CSV, lost the button here. 
um, and I'm, I'm importing it into um, Cert Help's optimization solver. So we have a UI for it here, but it is also available um, as a GitHub repo. Um, and we also have it as a Google uh, Collab version. So you can check Cert Help's website and links for those. So this is this UI isn't publicly available, but the, the solver itself um, generally is. So we'll upload uh, that CSV that we just had. I've already done it. Um, we've got Andy's team and we'll go to the optimization solver. Um, and what we'll do is we'll put, um, I'll just put the horizon to game week. Actually, I think we can go to, we'll go for the full horizon. Is that 14 weeks? 13 weeks. Recent track. Um, and then we'll, I'll do a, a rather aggressive cutoff here just to make it solve a little bit quicker. Um, the decay rate, I'd like to solve with 1 or 1.01, or I think Peter Carroll from our Discord discovered that 1.017 seems to be the value that undecays the value mm -hmm. to the, the best of our ability. So what we're trying to do here is we're trying to sort of solve in literal mode. So I, I've managed to plan out. I know exactly what's going to happen in the next 38 game weeks. And I'm trying, not 38, the next 13 game weeks. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to see what moves I would make in this scenario and where it makes most sense to play the chip. So I want the decay not to be in effect. I want to value every week the same. So I'll, I'll apply a little inverse decay because the minutes decay. So actually I want to just counteract that slightly. Um, and then what we want to do is we will uh, drop the free transfer value down to zero and the budget value down to zero. You can do this in the in the um, the JSON settings file as well. Um, and what we'll do is we will allow, um, we'll play the triple captain, we'll allow the bench boost in 34 and 37. Uh, we'll allow the free hit in 29, 34, and 37. Uh, and we'll allow the wild card in 20, well, let's try six. I'll let them have it in six, 27, uh, 31, and 35, perhaps. Maybe this will take too long, but we can we can cut it down. Mm -hmm. So we're going to restrict it to, you, you can do enough thinking, you can do enough research to realize that actually these are the opportunities where you probably want to bench boost in a double game week. You probably want a free hit in one of these three weeks that we say are, are all going to have really different teams. Um, and you want the wild card to account for one of those transitions. So that's either leading into 29, um, just after 29, or just after 34. So that's where the wild card will make most sense. Um, so we'll allow it to do that. And then what I'll do is I'll go back up, um, and hopefully this works. I'll press solve. Okay, so while that's running, um, we can talk a little bit through about the the process. So we've we've dropped it down to twelve because we don't have thirty eight EV yet. Um, but what you can do is you can see where it thinks those chips might make most sense to pair together. Um, and the way I see it is that you're not actually looking for which players are going to be in this solution. You're looking for the evaluation um, or the EV, the maximum EV of, of this path, because you want to have the highest ceiling path so that when you try to grab that EV, when you inevitably can't grab all of the EV and things start to falter, then you have the highest upside in that path. Mm -hmm. So the evaluations you want to do on top of that are evaluating the paths themselves. So once we've highlighted the candidate moves, so for example, for my team, uh, I think most scenarios game week 27 wildcard and game week 35 wildcard make more sense than a game week 31. So I'll still look at 31, but I'll have ideas of, okay, these are the, the two or three, the fixture um, 
sorry, wildcard permutations that I want to to evaluate, then I'll go in and I'll start solving with the settings that we're more used to. So that's around a 0.85 decay value. Um, I'll keep the horizon in. I'll maybe drop the EV cutoff a little bit. Um, and I want to see what sort of moves are making sense for that that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're not going to make the you bet you can barely even make a move two weeks away from what you planned. Like you know, I I had, I wasn't planning to do Trent to Virgil Van Dijk this week because I didn't think he'd be injured, and actually that's what I end up having to do. Ah, we have a solution. So wildcard twenty seven, free hit twenty nine, bench boost thirty seven is a as a plausible one here. Take a hit mm-hmm. this week. Um, so you can either solve and allow it to go everywhere, or what you can do is you can solve each set of the chip strategies that you're considering. So for idea generation, it might make sense to just solve and see where it puts them. Um, but if you have a few in mind already, you can solve each of those in this literal mode and compare the evaluation scores um, and see which ones are higher. If there's one that's way higher, then that's your decision kind of made for you, unless it really doesn't make sense. Um, but if they're quite close, then you want to go and dig in a bit more about what sort of moves are contributing to this. Because some of these, the ceiling might be slightly higher, but it might be more fragile or like the second top line falls quite far short of the top line. So mm-hmm. sometimes you end up with a a permutation where it becomes heavily reliant on one player. And if that player gets injured, then the strategy starts to fall apart. So you might, uh, I can't think of a specific example, you might, it might be that it relies heavily structuring around uh, Bruno Fernandes at Man United. And actually, if he's not available, or if the fixture doesn't fall in the way that you want it to, then there's not a viable alternative. Whereas in the fixture scenario that picks um, Bakayo Saka in the same place, then maybe if Saka gets injured, you can pick another Arsenal midfielder, or actually it allows you to pivot to Cole Palmer at Chelsea because actually they end up doubling in the same places or something like that. Um, so actually then I would go through and I would solve in the the regular modes that we tend to do and see what players come up. Something that happened in game week uh, 17 when I played my wildcard was when we were evaluating it before, we were looking at wildcarding either side of blank game week 18. And one of the things that the top line did in wildcard 16 or 17 was it wanted uh, Brian and Bremo um, before and after, but not during. So the top line, because it thinks it's got all these moves, does Brian and Bremo to Douglas Louise for Sheffield United at home, and then back to Brian and Bremo for game week 19, which is quite a fragile line because you can grab all that EV, but one injury and you don't have that free transfer available and actually that line doesn't make sense. Um, so I was originally leaning to wildcard later because the top line of wildcard 17, while looking slightly higher than wildcard 20, actually was more fragile once you evaluate it. What then happened is Brian Obama got injured and you just start with Douglas Louise and actually wildcard 17 proved to be quite fruitful for me. Um, I'm sure Wildcard 20 might have done the same. Maybe it didn't really matter. But that was the thought process behind how I settled on actually wildcarding before the blank game week rather than after. Even though a couple of weeks before that, it looked like it was going to be the other way around. 
Um, so that's how you can kind of evaluate the player. So I think I try and do it in two steps. So I'll, I'll do those literal modes um, where I do, okay, I want the full horizon. I want the full decay. Um, every time you're solving, the settings you're putting in are basically the assumptions you're making about the question you're asking the solver. So the assumptions I want to make to evaluate the most fruitful chip line is that everything goes as I want it to. So I'll try a few with different fixture scenarios. So I'll do a few binary fixtures, maybe some of the more probable ones, and I'll see which chip lines are, are coming up more frequently. Um, then in each of those candidate ones, I'll go, okay, what types of moves is it making in this, this period coming up now? And actually, maybe, for example, now, the move of buying Quanky Chan this week seems to be a good move in almost all of the scenarios that I'm looking at. So even if a wild card next week, I grab some EV this week. If I'm not, then if I free hit in 29, that's probably because it was in those scenarios where Wolves Bournemouth didn't drop in and Arsenal Chelsea didn't drop in. But actually, if it does drop in, then it plays the free hit there and actually it liked to do that. Um, so you can kind of hedge your bets in this way and you're kind of assessing the landscape rather than necessarily committing to a chip strategy until something either comes up or we get the information. So that's the idea. So for me, I did quite like Wildcard 26, but it didn't quite have enough of a gain for my team. And I, I'm aware that some people might want me to assign a number for how much of a gain it should have had before I play it. But I think that's that's got to be mainly down to personal preference. We use these chip um, thresholds that were uh, we calculated a while ago to do with how much should it take for you to sell your chip early, essentially. So a wild card is often worth, I think, was it 18 points, 18 to 20? Yeah, 20. Um, 20 yeah. yeah, so that's not saying that's how much it will be worth. That's saying if you can use it for more than 20 points now, you should probably do that because it's unlikely to be worth more than that later. Um, so obviously, as the horizon goes down, then it becomes less and less, less valuable and because you know the whole horizon about when it'll be used. Or essentially, you know, maybe um, our great monarch, King Charles, dies towards the end of the season and we have all sorts of, you know, things moving around. But actually, that's that's unlikely and maybe that doesn't even have too much um, mm -hmm. effect on the fixtures. Um, but it, once we have Game Week 38 in view, you can basically, and all the fixtures in, in place, mm -hmm. you can basically say, okay, I know where the best time to wildcard is. So wildcarding in 26 is because you go... I can make enough now that I'm betting that it will never be worth that much later. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to wait until game at 27 where I'll do this process more thoroughly um, and try and work out exactly where it might want to go um, based on the uncertainty around game at 34 and 37. Right now, there's too much uncertainty and all the chip lines are quite similar. And Wildcard 26 wasn't proving fruitful enough for me that I'm going to play a biding my time move, which you can either do by solving all these different variants and seeing which moves prove popular. Or if you want to get really into it, then um, Fantasy Football Trout, uh, our friend of the pod, I guess you might call him, um, talks about stochastic modeling, um, mm -hmm. which is essentially seeing which move holds up best by the time you get to the information value and then choose your path there. So it might not be the top move in any of the four different scenarios, but it's the move that holds the most value across the four so it's never gonna alter but maybe 
you don't bet on the, the huge upside of one particular mm-hmm. move. Um, so essentially, that's how I do it. I, I try and assess the landscape of where the chips might go in ideal worlds. So that's binary fixtures and um, inverted decay, no decay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you evaluate the top lines using the traditional solving that we normally do to see what kind of moves. And in that scenario, you might want to, it's still worth trying out the binary fixtures. So especially at the moment, I was doing binaries for game week 29, uh, but I would still leave spread fixtures in game week 34 and 37, because we're not as sure about those. And often you can add up the EV and actually, by the time you get there, something's changed. So you just want to know that it will hold up in in most of them. So then you go, okay, I can spread the odds. I can put in my 0.85 decay. Whereas I think some people use a method where they will solve the full horizon with 0.85 decay and then evaluate it with 1.01 decay. So they'll evaluate, they'll they'll make moves as if they were playing normally, evaluate it as if they're using um, a, a best case chip strat method, which I think can be useful, but I, I, I prefer to try and separate those two things out in terms of what I'm asking of the solve. So part one, ask which lines are most fruitful. Part two, ask in the fruitful line, what moves should I make to best try and capture that EV or fruit? Yeah, I agree. I mean, essentially, uh, if if you solve with one objective and then try to evaluate with the other, uh, you might still be losing some value because obviously, well, optimization solvers are very like single dimensional from that uh, perspective. So it doesn't care about your secondary objective. You're only solving for one. So and solving it the single objective and then try to evaluate with the other it might not always work the best. Maybe there was a very close suboptimal, or maybe there was another solution with the exact, you know, same single objective you use. Uh, but in terms of the second metric, it was going to give you a much better value. Like, and if you are trying to decide, oh, when when I want to use my chips, so since solver didn't know that you were going to you like measure with a secondary objective, so it it might give you a faulty or like maybe some kind of like a missing information there. Um, I think one another way, so I was trying to think about this and one another way I would do is use your binary um, fixtures plan, like load it to your solver, solve it, find, you know, when you want to wildcard, free hit, whatever. And then it will give you your move this week and also moves for like next week and then the week after maybe. You can freeze those moves. So you, you you are essentially telling solver that okay, I need to do this move this week, and what happens in the worst case if the other binary fixture happens? So that way you are actually checking what's the worst case scenario, like what's the best, like worst thing could happen to me, and then you can, you know, do your transfer based on that information. I think that's very similar to what. Uh, Alistair was doing with the wild card, like thinking about possible scenarios, and I'm doing this, and the worst in the worst case, this will happen, and I will have this many players, for example. So, it is not obviously easy to do. You need to spend some time to do it, but yeah, obviously these are valuable exercises if you are trying to optimize your chips. One yeah, question. I, I, sorry, go ahead. Uh, one question I have for you guys as I'm tinkering with. Um, uh, 
with with a wild, wild card 26 and running all kinds of solves, but not as expert at solving as either of you two fine gentlemen are. What's the right free transfer value to use when evaluating like a probable, a real world path instead of this uh, evaluate the ceiling to compare chip strategies? Like it strikes me as a phase when as I'm building the wild card, you know, thoughts running through my mind are I'm likely to have no bench in 26, no bench in 29. So I need guys that are nailed and I need transfers that I, I any injury might cost me a minus four is is kind of what I'm what I'm thinking as I uh, as I think through it. So I'm trying to think, you know, pick the less injury prone guys and the completely nailed guys boost them uh, mentally to, to try and survive this phase with as much flexibility as possible. Um, but should that play through into using a, a different free transfer value when solving versus the typical 1.5? Or is, is there a different way to ask the solver the question, as you put it, JC? So 1.5 was kind of like a uh, empirical observation from the other like re-optimization exercises we had. So obviously, like a free transfer value should change. Um, and the best way to drive it is thinking about, you know, what's the probability of someone getting injured and I need to use a hit. So what's the probability of you are forced to using a hit in the long horizon? So if you think that, oh, okay, there's a really big chance of me like being forced to use, like take a hit, then obviously the free transfer value should go up because you want to roll it whenever possible. Um, so yeah, that, that's essentially it. If you're picking like players who are like injury prone and like thinking that, you know, in a very like, it's very likely that most of my team will be available anyway and I won't be forced to take a hit. Like even with the fixture re rearrangements, you can think about it. Um, if that's the case, then value cl gets closer to zero, obviously, or becomes zero if you think that all of your team will be available no matter what. So... I will try to estimate a probability of uh, injury or, you know, regarding fixture arrangements, you know it better than I do, but I, I will try to estimate what's the probability of I will take a hit in this horizon. And then that will, uh, well, that will give you the value of the free transfer. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a good way to estimate it. I think sometimes what I like to do is I'll try a few different values and just see what it spits out because some, sometimes That's you easy. whack the free transfer value up and it gives you the same team as you had anyway in which case you go okay i've put it at three and a half and it tells me to pick roughly the same players so actually worrying about that 1.5 to 3.5 region is is not worth your time um or not hugely worth your time you should still be thinking about you know the scenarios that play out um but if you can look at it and go, okay, the ones that appear when it's this high, the ones that appear when it's this high, and the ones that appear where it's this high, then you can get a feel for... It It might be something you can kind of tell anyway, but like which players and which structures are those robust ones and which ones are the ones where you're actually being a little bit greedy. And then you can use your own intuition to decide, okay, like how, how risky do I want to play it, which is a bit of a play style thing as well. So as well as using that actual evaluation, um, that Sertal mentioned, I think this is something that people who aren't as analytical will kind of, they're kind of thinking in, in the same way, they're just not adding a numerical value to it. Mm -hmm. So you might say, oh, this is a tricky part of the season, I need to make sure that I'm not I'm not really booking any transfers in, because each one might end up being a hit because I have to fix another problem. 
or it's actually this is an easy spell, so I can I can attack here. Um, so actually seeing what happens in different ones can give you a better feel for how your team is set up and whether that is robust or whether this pick is is upside chasing a bit more. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I would like whenever I'm wildcarding, one thing I always try uh, is not allowing any transfers for the horizon. And so it might not make sense in this case, but it's it's a still a valuable exercise because you don't know which players you will get stuck with because if you need to make other transfers. So first I solve it for like just like Johnny said, like whatever the parameter you want to change, it could be the DK base or something else. I'm not allowing any transfers and I'm trying to see which players appear no matter what. And then I'm trying to lock those players in for my game week 26 squad, for example. And then I increase free transfer value a little bit and then allow transfers to see which players are still are with my team through the horizon. And then I lock those players too. So it is kind of like an iterative process that I prefer to do. And then eventually I leave only one or at most two players who needs to go in the short term because like even that in some cases are a little bit risky but um, deriving it that way is much better than you know trying to find the perfect value for all the parameters and have everything at, at one go. I've got some some interesting data fresh off the press that I saw earlier from Chris Musson um, who's in a Discord server, um, who was posting about the average length of time that you hold a player. Um, so for the IDs 1 to 100K, so these are the people who signed up first generally. Um, so it's not a full sample, but it gives you a rough idea. The average time of length that you're holding a player in the past, so a player that you don't currently have in your team, is 5.75 game weeks. So five or six game weeks. So actually, you even if you're trying to buy someone for two or three game weeks, you probably do end up holding them a little bit longer on average. Yeah. And the players of the ones that you have in your team as well, it goes up to 6.75. So I think six to seven as a rough average, as an idea of like how long might I have to hold this player? Obviously some people come in and go straight out again. And actually that will be because, you know, there are some players you hold for almost the whole season. Um, so it's not for every player, but if you imagine that you might end up having to hold them for, six to seven weeks in the horizon then does that ruin your team does that make it awful because you get stuck with him so i did um levi colwell to mark gahey a bit ago and he got mm-hmm. injured quite quickly and he's just been sat on the bench for a little while i'm sure a lot of people still still stuck with charlie taylor who might be miraculously recovering and just all these players that we end up sitting them on the bench because yeah. there's not enough upside in in moving them on and we don't end up with a free transfer to do so um so it might be like oh i can grab an extra little point here um and maybe someone like marcus sanessi makes more sense because you're grabbing that double so actually you have quite a big gap um for him to be in your team whereas someone who was maybe the marginally preferable preferable defender for the 26 to 28 spell might be more destructive in the game week 29 onwards spell if you don't have the transfer to move him on yeah, but yeah, it, it, I mean, it's it's a mixture. That would be, like, to br- uh, bring that to a real world evaluation. I'm sort of I was sort of thinking about today is Pau Torres versus Moreno. Hmm. I think you know Moreno's X minutes need to be like seventy ish to beat the assumed to be uber nailed 
uh, Pau Torres 91x minutes for the front week. Now, obviously, there's Luca Dean, who's ruined many a season of many an FPL manager for his own reasons in the past, but could ruin Moreno owners' uh, seasons as well. And um, Moreno doesn't have the best injury record uh, either. So I guess maybe you need more conviction in Moreno to surpass that tipping point for him to be a sensible pick um, where the more solid X minutes certainty uh, might feel uh, a little better, which I normally lean the other way, as as you guys know. I, I like my... Luca uh, <laughs> Dini managing to ruin someone's season by playing games would be quite a new one. I think he's normally, <laughs> normally he gets injured and you lose him, but if he starts playing and that bothers you, then ah, he's he's found a new way to, to tease us. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I, I think there's there's lots of different ones you can try. I think people are quite familiar with some of the, the ideas we've discussed already, but I'd, I'd recommend trying trying a few out and actually seeing what, what differences come up. Um, and actually, you'll start to get a feel for it as well. Um, more so than actually just going, oh, I heard this set of numbers. I'll do that one. That'll do. Um, if, if you were asking your friend to help with your team and you sent them your lineup, they'd probably start asking you some questions back before they gave you advice. So in the same way, you shouldn't just ask the solver once and do what they say. You would ask a few questions and ask them in slightly different ways and, and then take that method, I think. The solver the solver is my friend, um, basically. <laughs> That's a good, good summary, I think. I learned a lot yeah. from that. Yeah. So yeah. maybe we should talk a bit about bench boost. There's, there's an attendant question we've had from the Discord about the bench, you know, 37 looks like the big double game week. I think that's where a lot of people are earmarking their bench boost from. But um, two two kind of uh, commensurate or similar questions uh, uh, that bother people about that is, one, there's all these people about, like me evaluating playing wildcard a hell of a long time in front of game week 37. And uh, that just means you have to use free transfers uh prioritize use of free transfers to uh, navigate every problem uh, rather than, you know, potentially the the most bang for your buck and leaving injured players on the bench, for instance. But also game week 37 is close to the end of the season. Tala raised this uh, on the beach status of about 10 to 12 teams normally happens uh, by game week 37. And people always have concerns about you know, the randomness of outcomes when teams are on the beach and uh, the potential for greater rotation. So how 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 are you thinking about the bench boost? Um, what's the bench boost threshold value to use? And um, is, are you prior, are you thinking about game week 35 because you like playing the wildcard chip close to that bench boot, boost uh, chip, JC, or uh, is it for other reasons? I think, um... We are expecting game week 37 to be the the bigger double game week, which it might not fall as. And actually, I think there was a few scenarios where wildcard 31, bench boost 34 looked quite nice and free hit 37. Um, and people tend to prefer to put the free hit in that big double at the end because, well, one, it's more exciting. People like to free hit in a double rather than a blank as a sort of attacking rather than defensive move. Um, but also because it's the bigger teams who we might foresee as having fixture uh, sorry um rotation 
injury-prone players. So if Man City have wrapped up the league, then are their stars going to be playing all the time or are they going to have focus on a Champions League final that they've got at the end of the season or something like that? Um, so I, th- I think for... I see it more as a risk for expected minutes than I do for this on the beach theory, which is, I love that we're already talking about it and, you know, we haven't even got to the FA Cup round five. Um, I mean, it, it, there is still, it is somewhat a tangible thing. I, I don't know how, how measurable it is in terms of actually players' output. And I would imagine that it's the same sort of thing where people say, like, a player can haul off the bench it's like, well, yes, they can, but they've only played a third of the game. So in order for Haaland off the bench to be better than Solanke, then he's got to be performing at triple his output rate, which maybe he does. Maybe he does perform at triple the output rate of another striker. So if a team is on the beach but has a double game week in 37, I'd probably still rather two of their fixtures than a similar player with one attacking fixture. It might not seem as exciting, but... The drop-off in a player's output isn't going to be such that it halves, I would say. or I'd be surprised. Um, so it's more so that some of the players might not have the nailed minutes that we want. Um, and you're a little bit more fragile if you can only build for that with free transfers, which is, I think, what puts people off having the wild card so early and the bench boost so late. Um, I don't think that makes it unviable. Um, I think, actually... Quite a lot of the time when you this is one of the things that comes up when you're when you're solving with the sort of best case scenario is it quite likes the early wild card with the later bench boost because it thinks it can get there whereas we we might have reason to believe that it you might not necessarily get there because you have issues or your transfers come up you know need to be used elsewhere um so maybe again that would be a case for solving with with some free transfer value in um so i'd be more worried about minutes risks but i think that's more likely with the bigger teams who have the squads to rotate players i don't think dom Solanke's not going to get rotated if bournemouth are safe i mean they're kind of safe already anyway um that he's not gonna get rested he'd have to get injured presumably so maybe he isn't chasing the golden boot and not pushing for europe but i think he's still gonna get chances and try and score goals because it's that's his job, um, as people say. Um, so I think that's the thing that worries me more about bench boost later and why people might want to free hit. And people have the allure of, oh, I can pick Jeremy Doku because he's going to play both games. Um, but that's still a risk. And actually, that's a risk that other managers are going to get to whether they've got the free hit or not. Maybe Jeremy Doku is viable and you can pick him up with your transfer because you had a transfer to buy. Foden and it looks like Foden might not start but again you can get that wrong you can get the minutes wrong it can look like someone's nailed for a double and then I don't know Pep plays Bernardo Silva at left wing back um he does what he wants so I I think that's the kind of things I'm thinking about later but that that comes with the uncertainty when we solve so I don't think bench boost 28 or 34 is proving enough value for most people some people did bench boost 25, and I know we both looked at that. Alistair. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the value to sell it is probably, it possibly is lower than it has been in other seasons. I think often when you're playing it out, it looks like your bench boost might be something like a double game week goalkeeper, two good 
single game week fixtures. <clears throat> That's fine. Um, yeah, so I think a bench boost value is going to be something like um, around 15, 16. I think it, it could be a little higher. And actually, we've seen bench boost EVs of, of 20 in previous seasons. Um, but it's probably going to be something like a double game week goalkeeper. Um, two good single game week fixtures of maybe around four EV and another one who is playing. Um, if you have a good set, if you wildcard 35, you probably can get to 15 doublers or at least 14, um, which might prove a little bit more. But again, you saved your wildcard. If you go early, you probably can get to another double game week outfielder and maybe some two good single fixtures. Um, part of the appeal of double game week 34 for me, if it fell, was that I think it would be like Wolves, Everton, Crystal Palace, maybe, who've got some quite cheap guys on the bench. And actually, Man United might play Sheffield that week. Sheffield United. Um, so you might have quite a few nice single game week fixtures as well. So you might have Bruno and Garnacho and then Eze and Jack Harrison. And actually, your bench is double game week keeper Bruno or Rashford. Garnacho against Sheffield United and I don't know, a double game at Wolves defender. And actually that looks quite nice. Albeit the team looks a bit funny because you've got triple Wolves and triple Everton and triple Palace. and That's not great. But they've, they've got okay fixtures around it. So I, I, I think if you see a single game week where you've got more than 16 or so EV on your bench, I think you you could reasonably sell it especially now, I think we'll have a better idea after round five fixtures and the quarterfinals. So that will give us a more firm value. So you might want it a bit higher than that. Um, but I, I mean, we don't know. You are, you're betting. That's what the bet is. We don't know what will happen when you get there. You might get to 37 and the doubles don't really fall or your team gets scuppered and you can only manage 12 or 13 EV. Um, but again, you're, you're betting there that you can reach 20-odd. Yeah, I know the staunch advocates of the late, later wildcard or critics of the earlier wildcard strategy are of the view that prior to these information cliffs, certainly you shouldn't sell the bench boost for less than, I mean, I've heard people say less than 20 at this point. Um, 17 is a chip threshold that's often used, but as, as you know, as you pointed out earlier, JC, that decays as... We know more about what the doubles landscape looks like and, you know, the opportunity cost of using it starts to go down. So um, you're right, uh, probably be able to evaluate the use of that chip a bit better after uh, the fifth round and certainly after the quarterfinals um, for those of us who have optionality left, which doesn't include me. Well, I mean, you'll have optionality of where to play it once once things come in. You just you don't have the same flexibility to to charge at it with a wild card like some people will. But exactly, you've you've gained DV on them now, and you're hoping that that outweighs that. I think that's that's the bet. So, yeah, I think <laughs> you know later bench boost might prove really good. It's probably it's not going to be twenty five EV. It's not going to be ten. We are you know we are, we are talking about marginal gains but then they all add up and costing yourself four or five EV with a bench boost in a different week is substantial enough but you know you you get hit with a random injury enough to take a hit and you've, you've kind of lost three or four EVs so yeah. 
random things happen. And I think it's a good point to wrap up today's discussion on optimizing chip strategies amidst fixture uncertainties. A big thank you to uh, Johnny and Alistair for their uh, invaluable insights. Uh, it has been enlightening to delve into analytics and fixture uncertainty with the experts of your caliber. Um, and to everyone tuning in, we hope you have found this episode both informative and useful for your FBL strategy as we head into the final stretch of the season. Um, well, obviously there are lots of decisions to make and we hope you can craft the perfect chip strategy uh, with analytics-oriented teams are doing pretty well on average this season. Or I, we hope this brings you great results for yourself and for analytics FC in general. And remember optimization tools are meant to be decision support tools rather than telling you what to do exactly and there are multiple ways to the victory as evident here alistair is wildcarding this game week and we are uh, holding our wildcard for later um we will have another episode this week with us we will cover our usual content before game week 26 so most of the stuff about uh, captaincy optimal wildcard we will cover it uh, in that episode and goodbye and good luck with your uh, remaining games uh, in this game week and stay curious and stay analytical. Goodbye.